On Your Wavelength, a podcast on physics and publishing. We take you behind the scene of some of the most interesting work published in the Nature portfolio. We talk to the authors and to the editors and bring you the latest insights. Hello and welcome to On Your Wavelength. I'm Ankita Nirban from Nature Reviews Physics, joining you from London today. Welcome, Ankita. Welcome to everyone of our listeners. I am Cristiano Matricardi. I'm tuning from Berlin and I'm an editor at Nature Communications. As last year, this um, format will actually involve interviews to the authors and the editor of a specific paper published in the Nature Portfolio. But today, before starting with the big story, I would like to introduce a topic that has been in my feed at least for the last month, more or less, which is ChatGPT and how companies are trying to implement this tool in their daily workflow. I feel that it's kind of uh, losing interest because uh, at the beginning when it been released, everyone was, uh, uh, was, oh, wow, let me try this new tool. And then now it's kind of getting more normal and this fast super fast development brought this tool to be already mainstream in less than one month yeah i think the speed with which it's taken up it's really quite striking um compared to like other technologies which i think always take significantly longer for you know just mainstream just people on the street using them but chat is really taking it off and i don't know did you see there was um that survey that nature did um which is only of about 700 people so it's not it's not a hugely scientifically significant survey but i think 80 percent of the researchers have already used it at least once um and i think the majority of them have used it for fun because i think there is that novel aspect of let's see what it does but i think some people apparently are using it for research as well which is yeah interesting it doesn't actually surprise me, I need to say, because, of course, when I have a problem in this moment, I try to use it, standard tools that I've been using, research engines, my reasoning, my line of reasoning, my thinking, and so on and so forth. But the more the people get aware that there's another tool that can be really useful for everyday life, maybe we start to have this paradigm shift and start to use this artificial intelligent tools for more intelligent things, I would say. I don't know if it's the right word. Well, I mean, it's interesting you say the word intelligence because I think, I mean, obviously it's, it's, it's AI supposedly, right? But I think the thing to be wary of is that, so I've used it to try and summarize some research papers that I've read myself. And what's spooky about ChatGPT is that it sounds very intelligent and it will say very fancy things and all the sentences make sense. However, the facts aren't necessarily true. And I think quite often it'll come up with things that are either just very misleading or just even completely wrong because, you know, after all, it's just a large language model, right? It's just putting together phrases it's seen previously. Um, so I think, yeah, it's, it's good to be wary of it. I think it can get misleading quite quickly, um, especially when it comes to technical topics like physics. Um, I think we can leave this open question for our listeners and, you know, let them come out with the answer whether ChatGPT will or not, you know, be used in our daily life for our daily work. Today, we have a paper recently published in Nature Nanotechnology that actually achieved 
mathematical operation at the speed of light. Today, we will be talking about a paper, a recent paper appeared in Nature Nanotechnology entitled Solving Integral Equations in Free Space with Inverse Designed Ultra-Thin Optical Metagradings. We have with us Andrea Cordaro. He finished his PhD at Amolf in the Netherlands, in Amsterdam, and is now a researcher at Amolf. He's here to explain us the utility and why optical analog computing is interesting for us. I'm telling about the behind the scene of the paper. The idea about uh, analog computing and performing uh, mathematical operation with uh, with meta services is essentially uh, being energy efficient and 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 fast. Um, so I started my, my PhD at AMU, but uh, basically the first part of my PhD was uh, developing theory with uh, with uh, Professor Alou. At that time, uh, I was in Texas, and then we had a meeting, uh, yeah, I think in my first day. And uh, and he said, yeah, we have this idea uh, about meta services that uh, could do special filtering. Uh, why don't you look into it? This specific uh, uh, project, so this uh, the one about the uh, integral solver, uh, let's let's say, uh, this was also th this was mainly in collaboration with uh, uh, Professor Ingeta, and I mean the the idea was born at at a coffee table at at, at Clio, and uh, you know we sat down and then at, at that point he had uh, he had just published uh, his, his science paper about uh, uh, integral equation solving in in uh, microwave. And then in the back of my mind, I had this idea, okay, maybe you can do something uh, like that in optics and, uh, you know, we have metasurfaces and maybe if you come from different angles, you can have a different response. And then the the discussion was extremely smooth. I, I, I it was, it was, a, I mean, I didn't have to convince, basically, we were both already convinced. Uh, it was just that, uh, yeah, we happened to be at, at Clio at the same time and uh, now we sat together and yeah, we, we connected uh, immediately and we thought, okay, this is, uh, yeah, this is worth uh, start working on it. And then basically this was May 2019 and in July 2019, I was already in Philadelphia working with him. So uh, it was, uh, that took off uh, super fast. So. Straight away results in my life that never happened in, in, in research. That that was uh, um, I always think as research being extremely non-linear with a lot of plateaus and then sort of like a, a, a step forward and then another plateau and then another step forward. It's extremely non-linear. That's maybe what makes it uh, painful sometimes. Um, yeah, the first issues were already in the uh, in the design part and in the theory part, uh, and they were basically related to uh, the degrees of freedom that are available uh, to the system, which is also something that, by the way, the, the reviewers uh, at Nature Nano pointed out, and uh, was an extremely interesting discussion uh, also with them. COVID happened, so this was uh, also uh, <laughs> something that went particularly wrong. 
because everything was obviously uh, blocked. So I, I developed the design much more and the theory much more. I sort of um, took that time for uh, to do that. Uh, and then basically, yeah, then basically I started the experiment and the, the first summer after COVID, I, I think. So that was 2020. Yeah, it's hard to select one key moment. I think there were a few uh, on the theory and design uh, uh, part of the, let's say, of the paper. When I sort of, when I was able to uh, show in simulation the solution of the integral equation and how close was to the to the ideal solution, then I thought, okay. I mean, even if the experiment doesn't happen, then at least I can publish something. So, so at that, that point was, uh, yeah, well, well, not a revolutionary moment, but at least like I felt a little safer. So that was that was nice. And then another key moment was uh, um, when I first patterned the metasurface. Uh, so the tolerances on on these metasurfaces are quite stringent. So uh, when I fear when I first developed the first sample after the e-beam exposure I, I checked it at the SCM and then I was like ah okay man this this looks good so I all the all the features were reproduced and then when I etched the sample optically it was uh, it, it was behaving as, a, as it as it was designed to be and then the story with uh, with, with nature nano uh, of, of course we tried and then we were super happy that uh, was sent to uh, uh, to review. I, I was at Nanometer, so I was in, in, in Austria while uh, this this uh, was, was happening. So, I, yeah, we were really happy about this. Um, and then, okay, the, the, the funny story is that the, the review uh, uh, came back uh, the day of my birthday. So, you know, my girlfriend was, was here in Amsterdam. We went to a restaurant and um, you know, a very nice restaurant because I was turning 30. So... So it was, was quite a special day. You know, we go out of the restaurants and then we read the uh, the, the the email from the from the editor, and it, it wasn't super positive, I have to say. So, uh, you know, he, he was saying, um, yeah, the reviewers were not uh, extremely excited about the work, and, and so man, it was really like a. You know, I had a moment there. I was like, "Oh man, really today?" I mean, that that's uh, that's a weird coincidence. Uh, but then I, I sort of like postponed it mentally to to <laughs> to, to the to the next day, and uh, and and then I saw uh, that well, actually was not rejected. So, I mean, the editor was not super happy about the, the review, but we still had the chance to 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 write a response. Uh, okay, and that that got me uh, sort of excited again, and I was like, okay, and then I'll I'll try to write the strongest re rebuttal I I can. Um, yeah, that sort of uh, uh, and and that went through. But but I mean the the quality of the review was uh, was extremely high. I was I was quite happy. Uh, especially one reviewer was extremely uh, deep in details and. Uh, 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 he or she had uh, I don't remember how many pages of comments. It was like there was like five comments, and then uh, which were quite bulky comments. 
and then there was like a section other comments and then there were like another 15 <laughs> and so i was like okay okay uh yeah let's uh, let's do this and Uh, let's say when uh, so when when the when the comments and questions are uh, technical, that, then it's easier to 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 handle those, right? Because I mean, there's you know there's there's technical reasons uh, why they're asking, and there's technical reasons that that you can put forward. So um, there's not uh, yeah everything is is a little more clear. Uh, when the when the questions are more like okay we don't feel this is an impact enough for this and that and yeah that that's you try to make a point but obviously it's also a little bit the taste of the of the editor or the the, the scope of the journal so that that's much harder to to handle for sure So as the main character of this story, today we have uh, Andrea Cordaro uh, from Amolf. So Andrea, uh, nice to meet you. Hey, hello everyone. Hey, thanks for the introduction. Yeah, my name is uh, Andrea. Uh, yeah, this was basically uh, one of the main PhD projects that I, that I had and finally uh, was, was published a couple months ago on Nature Nano. And uh, yeah, of course, I'm really happy about it. Actually, I was uh, curious about your work because analog computing is something that has been around since quite a lot of time, but using metasurfaces to do something indivisible was something I felt quite special. So can you actually tell us what's special about analog computing and why we should be interested in this technology and how this technology could be transformative in these fields. Yeah, so, um, okay, this is something that, uh, so first of all, analog uh, processing, it's, uh, uh, let's say it's not new, right? Uh, it, it's something that it's been, uh, I think, developed the first time in, in the 60s. Um, but it was basically consisted of really bulky setups and uh, but they, they were able to do crazy stuff even uh, uh, object recognition with uh, matched filters uh, there's a there's a ton of work uh, that, that has been done uh, but that sort of remained um, maybe a little bit impractical because of because of its uh, size uh, so the idea now is to sort of revive a little bit of that uh, of those efforts uh, uh, in in uh, optical analog processing, uh, but now we met the surfaces, so we can basically squeeze the entire optical tables that that uh, these people were doing uh, into, for example, a single surface. So in this case, it's slightly more complicated. It's uh, the the input is sort of the initial function of a uh, uh, the, the input function of an integral equation uh, of the second time. Um, and then the output would be sort of the uh, the solution of the of the equation. But so the main idea about computing metasurfaces is: can you perform some mathematical task in a more uh, uh, efficient way and and also in a, in a faster way? Can you say that mathematical operation 
is being performed at the speed of light? Something like this? Uh, I mean, effectively, uh, effectively, yes. It's light that carries the, 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 the information. Uh, um, it, obviously, it's part of a of a bigger system so for example one remark of the <laughs> one of the reviewers was okay but uh, uh, you know you also need to take into account uh, you know all the rest of the uh, of, you know of the acquisition of the signal of the yeah, yeah. just and probably it's not it won't it won't be too fast because if you take into account just input devices the output devices the detectors and everything yeah. just you will have a delay yeah no but that's 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 true and uh, and i mean we we agree but the point is that if you can uh, if you can just make even one layer faster why not right i mean yeah true for example even in uh, uh for example for for this application in edge detection um yeah, I mean, people. Uh, I've got a lot of comments uh, on the uh, on the line of okay, but you know we have neural nets and they, uh, you know, and and they do it and uh, yeah, sure. But uh, the point is, if you if if the neural net, if the first couple of layers are always doing spatial filtering, then isn't it easier to just provide the neural net already with the image that only has edges, right? And maybe you save. I don't know how much time would you save in in a practical application, but if you can save some time, then then why not? And also, if it doesn't cost energy, you know, why not? Yeah, actually, what I can see right now is that these systems could provide some boost to operations, but should be uh, implemented in 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 photonic chips that does other operations. So just this kind of helping uh, uh, standard or already developed systems isn't it i think that's actually exactly the uh, let's say the, the the way we intend this so that should sort of like they should team up i don't think we we want to replace it and uh what i think it's it has to be uh, uh the next step in terms of uh what it's still lacking is is reconfigurability of the of the operation right because if you um, create a metasurface. If you, if you create this. a metasurface, that that's fixed, that's right? It. And that that's gonna de- define uh, uh, your operation. Uh, so, for example, if it does edge detection, then it only does de- edge detection. So, what we're trying to do now is to, um, well, at, at this point, really to switch off the operation, right? To sort of, okay. for example, electrically tune the the operation or switching off, switching it off. Um, and that's already challenging because I mean, you know, uh, tunable metasurfaces, it's, it, it's tough. And uh, you need to either change the modulator refractive index, uh, uh, which is typically tough, um, uh, or you mechanically have to, let's say, distort the, the geometry, which is also tough. So it becomes to a device level that it's uh, increasingly uh, difficult, but, but, but not impossible. So, and I think nice. that's a good direction to, to go. So thanks, Andrea. I wish that your outlooks and your future work go smoothly as well as this other work has, uh, has gone. So, um, but now we, we also have the handling editor, Alberto Moscatelli, who uh, is the chief editor of Nature Nanotechnology and will actually tell us the uh, editorial perspective in handling this paper.
welcome again. Uh, now we have um, Alberto Moscatelli. He is the chief editor of National Technology. After a PhD at Columbia University and a postdoc at Carnegie Mellon University, he joined Nature Research in October 2020, 2010, and he worked on nanotechnology since March 2012. And he is now chief editor since January 2022. So he's here today to shed light on the editorial process behind the paper from Cordaro and colleagues. We, we just listened the story from the, from the authors. And actually to understand the complicated knots to untie during the editorial process. So uh, welcome, Alberto. Yeah, thank you for having me. And... Um, The first question I want to ask you, just do you receive many papers on nanophotonics in nature nanotechnology? Let's say uh, nanophotonics uh, comprise a large percentage of uh, the papers we receive in nature nano. And more particular, more specifically, um, among the nanophotonics papers, metamaterials are probably the ones that with the lar largest, largest proportion of them. That field is quite well established. It is known that we can exert quite a fine control of the light wave wave front using these uh, uh, these flat op optical devices. Our bar has actually raised considerably since, let's say, four or five years ago. So um, yeah, I can understand that just bars, especially editorial ones, just need to change with time because, of course, we need to follow uh, the developments of a, of a certain field. But coming to this paper. When it actually landed on your desk, which was your first reaction about it? Nice question. <laughs> I like this question because every paper is different and every paper uh, uh, has a different um, emotional response, intellectual response, actually, when we start reading it. Uh, so first of all, this was a fun paper to read for me. Uh, because it brought back memories of undergraduate school and calculus classes, right? That already tells me that the findings that the, the, the findings would be widely appreciated because you know solving an, an integral equation is, ubiqu is ubiquitous in science uh, and technology. Um, then you know there's the fact that the paper demonstrated computation in in an analog regime at the speed of light and if you contrast that with the enormous attention that is now in quantum computing instead this already this, this already tells me that the approach is an example of out-of-the-box thinking right uh, it's not mainstream um, and, the, and this is something we always appreciate yeah when you have something that is a bit off uh, the beaten path yeah because we want to feed Really, what we want to do is to feed our readers with, with content that, is cha that challenges them as much as possible. Um, so then I did the, the due daily diligence on this paper, of course, before, uh, before any decision. This was like, the, the first impact I had. Then, then I started doing some uh, due diligence in it, on it. And I found out that actually this way, um, that this was not the first time people had proposed analog, an, analog computation. And indeed, some of the authors had already shown to, how to solve integral equations using light uh, in the past. So at first, I was a little disappointed, but uh, but then you know, I look, looking at this previous literature, these papers um, were were working the microwave regime. 
So as a nanotechnology journal, we must value also the effort to miniaturize devices. And even though you're still working with the Maxwell equations, right, <laughs> in both regimes, the technological challenge to go from centimeter scale to nanometer scale is not trivial. So in the end, it was a combination of this device miniaturization plus the ubiquity of the problem tackled that convinced me to send the paper um, out to review. So the paper went to review and uh, how was the process? You know, just looking for reviewers and then the reviewer prof, the review process itself, in your opinion. Yeah, so finding reviews was not hard, actually, in this case, because the nanophotonics community is quite large and it's a community that we are very well engaged with. So finding reviewers for this particular paper was not that challenging. Um, but I have to say the papers went through a few iterations, a few extensive revisions, a couple of extensive revisions, because um, because the reviewers were wanted to see more robust device in terms of op actual operations. So the error margin, the convergence of the solution, uh, computational time, all these kind of things that are very uh, technological more than uh, more than uh, the actual science behind. Um, they did re they did issue. They, they did raise the issue of novelty because of these other previous papers, but we, um, we overruled them for the reason I explained earlier. Then they also wanted the authors to comment about resolving or solving different kind of uh, equations. So what they, the equations that they, they solve is this so-called Fredholm integral equations of the second kind, which, you know, already, already tells you that's a quite specific kind of kind of equations. And so that was something that the authors had to, had to, had to comment on. Um, but in the end, every equation, you have to come up with a different design. So, so yeah, it was, it was fun. Yeah, it was a fun process, I think. So now speaking a little bit more on the broad sense of being an editor, you've been the company for many years, almost 13. So you are probably the best person I could ask to answer these questions because you have probably questioned yourself a lot of time during your career. So how do you reach informed decisions on manuscripts, which is the, let's say, I wouldn't, I, I would not say the secret, but just the hints that you can give us. Um, yeah. I mean, after, you know, after 12 years plus in this job, I have to say every paper is still different. It's one of a kind. <laughs> so it's very hard to, uh, to find generalized conclusions. But of course, there are two kinds of decisions, right? That, you know, the, the ones that we take pre-peer review and the ones we take post-peer review. The decision, of course, pre-peer review are taken in-house by, by, by us because so we need to apply some criteria. Conceptual novelty is extremely important. That's, uh, that's the one main uh, criterion that, that we use. But as a nanoscience journal, I would say that we also look at the level of nanoscale understanding and control how, uh, and how this control is linked to the, to the final properties of a material or the performance of a device. So if, if authors can show this thread between across across length scale from nanoscale understanding to the meso macro scale properties or performances in case of a device then then they probably have a good story to tell right 
trying to find the right balance, it's not really trivial from the editor perspective. But we know that apart from research paper, we have a lot of contents that falls into this uh, front half, so commissioned papers, commissioned content. How is national technology approach and strategy in this aspect? We, we pay a lot of attention in, um, in commissioning pieces that, are, that have a long shelf life, something that people can consider stable for their field. We do a lot of research before commissioning a particular review, a particular uh, perspective or a comment, this kind of, this, this kind of pieces. Um, I would say for nanophotonics, um, we are moving towards applications more and more. And then from that application, looking back into what nano can do for these applications, more than going the other way around in which you have some body of academic research and then the last paragraph or the last section of the review talking about speculatively talking about the, the future uh, applications. We're trying to go the other way around in which you actually already have an application and sometimes it's also already commercialized and then discuss that application and what Nano can bring to that table realistically. So thanks, Alberto, for opening the door to us, to Nature Now Technology, and I hope you will be, again, guest of uh, our On Your Wavelength podcast in the future. So thank you very much, Alberto, for being here with us today. Thank you, Cristiano, for inviting me. You have been listening to On Your Wavelength podcast, a podcast on physics and publishing. The next episode will be on a nature physics paper. Stay tuned to find out more. Thank you for listening and see you next time.